you can be aware of that. Um, I wanted to uh, just kind of d deal with the fact that the Rams are going to win today. Just kind of get that out of the way. I realize not everybody is a Rams fan. Somebody here could possibly be a Patriots fan. And if that's true, it's cool. You are welcome. God's grace is sufficient even for you. So I want you to know that. Um, I, I really, I'm in such a great mood today. This is I, I wait so long for my team to make it, and they never do, and this year they have. So I'm really excited, and I was, I was looking forward to having like a, a joke-filled sermon with lots of cute stories and get you out of here early and everybody go eat wings and nachos and all that kind of stuff. And then I sat down Monday morning, opened my Bible to start studying for this week's sermon, and I turned to Genesis 19. If you don't know, we've been, we've been going through the book of Genesis a chapter at a time, really a verse at a time, working our way through the whole book. And today we're going to be in chapter 19. And um, part of me wants to just skip this chapter altogether. Um, not only does it deal with all kinds of horrific things, not only does it deal with a lot of very adult themes... But um, it's exactly the kind of passage that gets us in trouble as Bible-believing Christians. Because basically what you have in this story, if you look at it from one angle, is a mean, angry God wiping out a whole city of homosexuals. And that's exactly the sort of thing that... Um, People complain about, you know, if, the, if that's how God is, I don't want anything to do with God and, and all of that kind of stuff. In our day and age, it's this very controversial stuff, and it would be a lot easier to just skip this. But then there's another part of me that is super excited about preaching on Genesis 19 because it is so incredibly relevant to our lives and our culture today. And it's not just relevant to our culture because we live in a modern day Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it's relevant to our lives. What is it like to be a follower of God who is dealing with temptation, who is dealing with a culture and a society that uh, is designed to pull us away from God and not help us walk with God? This is extremely relevant to us today. So we're going to go ahead and just cover it. And if you're visiting with us for the first time today, don't know what this church is all about, I guess this is as good a time as any for you to be here because, because one of the things we're committed to here is teaching what the Bible says. And frankly, it doesn't always say what I wish it said. And I've learned that if there are things in the Bible that make me squirm, and things in the Bible that I don't like, then it's me that needs to change because God's not going to change His Word. And God's Word is relevant and true for every generation. So we're just going to dig in and get into the Word this morning. Uh, last week we saw that God told Abraham that he was going to destroy the cities of the valley, right? Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns. And he said, I'm going to destroy them. And we saw Abraham's prayer where he, he pleaded with God. He said, Lord, if there's just 50 righteous people in this city, 
would you not spare the city on account of those 50 people? And God said, I will spare the city for 50. He said, what if there's 45? He said, I will spare the city for 45. 40, yes. 30, yes. 20, yes. 10, yes. And then Abraham stopped and said, okay, God, thank you. God, God said, well, I'm going to send these angels down to the city. If there are 10 righteous people, I will not destroy the city. But if there's not, I'm going to destroy the city. Now, when we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, I have heard it said many times something along these lines. If God doesn't judge Las Vegas, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you heard that? If God doesn't judge San Francisco, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's a cute saying, but it's absolutely ridiculous. I want us to understand what we're talking about here before we open these pages and really dig in and see what happens to these cities. This is an entire city-state. It is the largest population in all of that region. And in this giant city, there are not 10 people of faith. Guys, that doesn't compare to Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, there are tens of thousands of godly people, great churches in Vegas that are sharing the word and helping the hungry and feeding the homeless and all of that kind of stuff. There's amazing stuff going on with Christians. You name a city in this country and I will show you thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians who are there being light in the midst of the darkness. In Sodom, there wasn't 10 this is an absolutely depraved community. It's an absolutely rotten culture. And I want us to understand that this, as we unfold this story, is not a story about a mean, impatient God who hates people who are different and he just wants to wipe them out. <clears throat> God has been hearing the cries of the people of the valley for generations. He, he told Abraham that I have been hearing the cries of the people crying out because of the sin of the city. <clears throat> he's responding not so that he can wipe out a group of people. He's responding so that he can save a group of people from the influence of the wickedness that is now controlling the city. Now, we're going to just jump in in chapter 19. If you've got your Bibles, go to Genesis 19. And... Uh, there are the, the two angels, right, who look like men who are on their way down to the city. And we're going to pick up the story in chapter 19, verse 1. Now, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. Let's just stop there for a second. There's something you need to know. Lot is sitting in the seat of the city councilman. He's there in the city gate. He's one of the city elders. The elders of the city, or the city councilmen, if you will, had seats in the city gate. If you had an issue, you came to the city gate, they were judged by the elders who sat in the city gate. So now what we know about Lot is that over these decades, as Abraham's story has been unfolding and we've been watching this happen, Lot has been growing older, right? And now he is one of the elders of the city in which he lives. But if you remember a few chapters ago, 
he split off from Abraham, right? And he took the valley and he did not move into the city. He set up his camp outside of the city so that he could deal with the business people who came and went, the travelers, and make money. And that was his business plan right? But he wasn't going to go into the city, which was already by this time known for its wickedness. There's no way he was going to like raise his family in that city. So he set up his camp outside the city. But later, as we saw a couple of chapters ago, he's now living in the city. Remember when the war happened and he got taken captive amongst the people of the city of Sodom? And when he came back, he moved right back into the city. And now I want you to notice that he's gone from being a visitor who lived outside the city to a resident of the city to a city elder. He's heavily involved in this city. Verse two. And he said, now behold, my lords, please turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night. And wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, however, no, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he urged them strongly. So they turned aside uh, to him and entered his house. And he prepared a feast for them and baked unleavened bread and they ate. All of these cities were basically set up the same way at this time. If you've ever watched like, I don't know, an old King Arthur movie or something about the days of nights. You, you could picture what these cities were like. They were giant walls that went around the city, and the city had these huge gates, right? And then at night, they would close the gates, and uh, there were soldiers uh, mounted on the wall around the city to protect the city at night from attack, and they knew who came in and out of the city. They had the city gate. You had to pass through the city gate to get in. It was like... TSA at the airport, you know, take off your shoes, put your laptop in the bag, go through the thing. That's what they had to do to get into the city. So they knew who was in the city. So if they closed the gates at night, it was safe to be in the city and you didn't want to be outside the city, right? So the cities would all have a city square in the middle where visitors would sleep. And so you'd sleep in the city square and then you'd get up the next day and travel because you did not want to be sleeping outside of a city. It wasn't safe, okay? So they should have been sleeping in the city square. That was their plan. But he comes to them and urges them, please, please don't sleep in the city square. No, it's okay. We want to sleep in the city square. I'm telling you, don't sleep in the city square. Please, please come to my house. Let me put you up in my house. I'll give you food. I'll give you a shower. You can leave in the morning, but stay at my house. Don't sleep in the city square. So finally they go to his house. It was as if he knew something about sleeping in the city square that he didn't figure they knew, right? Verse 4, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house, both young and old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may have relations with them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him. Now, let's just think about this for a second. There's a mob of people, like some kind of a gang, that shows up outside of his house and says, give us these people. We're going to rape them. And you go, who are these people? Is this like some kind of a street gang, some kind of a criminal syndicate? Who are these people? 
It tells us all of the men of the city, all of them, both young and old. And the word there that's translated men is actually males. And, and you ask yourself, wow, this city is so wicked that all of the men are in on something like this. Like, it's mind-boggling to even picture. Again, this ain't San Francisco. This is a place where all of the men of the city are willing to gang rape their visitors. This is the welcoming committee. This is how they deal with visitors from the outside. Now, these angels have come because God heard the cries of the people, right? For generations. And God is responding to that. And it makes you wonder if all the men of the city are in on this kind of wickedness, who is left to cry out against them? And then I think maybe the other people who have slept in the city square in the past. Maybe the people in the surrounding towns who've had to deal with this kind of a community of people. And then I want you to notice, it says all the males in the city came surrounded the house and makes the point of saying both young and old. And I thought that was interesting. Why make the point? And so I looked up the words and the Hebrew word for young is a word that is only used for children. It's only used for minors. So when, when it says young, we're not talking 25 or 30. We're, we're talking 8 or 10, okay? Any, any child from toddler to teenager is considered, this is the word for their age, young. So these young people are there. And you say to yourself, how does a 10-year-old boy get the idea, I want to be a part of a gang that rapes a bunch of men? Like, where in the heck does that come from? But then you stop and you think about this city. These children were raised in this city. It makes you wonder what those children have already been through. It makes you wonder what those boys have already been exposed to with the men of the city. But they're there. They're in on it. Now, I don't want to be crass, but I do want you to have a good picture of what's going on here. This is a city with an estimate of upwards of a thousand people in it. All of the males in the city are there. So they're going to drag these guys into the square and rape them. Obviously, not all of them are going to have sex with these guys. But they're all there. Most of them are there just to watch. Right? And you think, oh my God, what, what kind of a culture has people that want to watch this? In our culture, we call it the internet. In our culture, we call it pay-per-view. And it's a booming business. Now, we maybe think, well, I would never do such a terrible, abusive, exploitive thing as this. But in our society, millions of people are just one click away from watching this at any given moment. Or something like it. But finally, in verse 6, the story turns. 
Verse 6, but Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Isn't it interesting that he calls them brothers? Please, my brothers, do not act wickedly. Finally, a hero steps up. Finally, somebody is going to protect these guys. Finally, somebody is going to do what's right. And he, he points it out to them. He calls what they're doing wickedness. Don't do this wicked thing. Just a quick side note. We need to get back to calling wickedness, wickedness. We need to get back to calling sin, sin. In our culture, we've just gotten so far away from these words that that have meaning and significance and we don't want to call anything wickedness because that's offensive to somebody. We don't want to call anything sin because somebody might feel they're being judged. Guys, listen, if we're not willing to call this wickedness, if we're not willing to call this sin, then what in the world are we going to call it? And, and if we just keep as a society saying, oh, these are just you know, alternative lifestyles and different ways of living and everybody has their own thing. If that's the approach that we take to this, then uh, what we're going to see is what we are seeing, a society that is learning that there is no right and wrong, that there is no moral standard. What they're about to do is wicked. And he tells them that. Every child who gets molested, every woman who has something dropped in her drink, every time a boss takes advantage of an employee, every time a pimp targets a young runaway, every time a drug dealer gives a kid a free sample to get him started, that's wickedness. And we need to see it as that. So finally, Lot has decided to stand up to the mob of abusers. Finally, our story has a hero. He is not going to let them attack these men. Instead, he tries to reason with them. Look at verse 8. Now behold, I have two daughters who have not had relations with man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them whatever you like. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. So much for a hero. He is willing to give them his two teenage virgin daughters. Take them for the night. Do whatever you want. If they're still alive in the morning, I'll clean them up. Take them. Now, I read this as a father of two daughters, and my stomach knots up. Because I'll tell you, if if you want to hurt one of my daughters, you might be able to succeed, but I will not be breathing. I will die to protect them. And I think this man, in his effort, he's in a dilemma. What, what do I do? These are messengers of God. I have to protect them. What do I do? And his thought is, give them my daughters. Gang rape my daughters. Verse 9. 
But they said, stand aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came to us as an alien and already he's acting like a judge. Now we will treat you worse than them. So they pressed hard against Lot and came near to break the door. Lot has lost all respect of these men. He's lived with them for decades. They know him. He calls them brothers. He's an elder in the city. And he has lost all of their respect. He has no influence on them whatsoever. And he's offering them his own daughters. So what moral high ground does he have to call what they're doing wicked? He has none. He has fallen a long way. Lot is no longer living in Sodom. Sodom is living in Lot. He thinks like they think. And he's giving them his daughters. What kind of scumbag is this guy? How did Lot get there? Because just a few chapters ago, Lot was a man of God with his uncle, or his uncle Abraham, and they were worshiping God together. And God was blessing them. And God had his hand on Lot's life, and Lot was experiencing the immense blessings of God, so much so that his family and his business grew to the point where they couldn't even share land anymore, and that's when they separated. That's who we met when we met Lot. And, and, he, and he set up his tents outside the city, and then he moved into the city, and now he's sitting in the city gate, and finally he's giving his daughters to a gang of rapists. How does that happen? Last week we saw this with Abraham. We said, how do you walk with God for your whole life? One step at a time. How do you fall away from God? One step at a time. One step at a time. Almost nobody makes a giant leap from I'm a worshiper of God to I'm giving my daughters to a group of rapists. It happens one step at a time. Lot set out on this path a long time ago. He sacrificed his integrity day by day, week by week in the eyes of these men. He put his family at risk. He put his uncle at risk. Remember the war when he had to be rescued? He, he slowly slid down the hill of sin and shame until he hit rock bottom here in chapter 19. He hasn't hit rock bottom yet. Believe it or not, the story gets worse. Look at verse 10. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house. This is the angels. And brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves trying to find the doorway. So you're a part of this angry mob of gang rapists, and suddenly you're all blind. How would you like to be in the middle of that chaos? That couldn't have felt safe. But Lot and his family are safe inside with the angels. Verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, whom else have you here, a son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and whomever you have in the city, bring them out of this place. For we are about to destroy this place because their outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters and said, 
up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-law to be jesting. First thing I want you to see there is Lot had more family in the city, right? He, he mentioned sons, plural, so at least two, at least two sons, not with them there in the house, so must be of marrying age, right? So there's at least two sons, probably two daughters-in-law, maybe many more, right? And a daughter is mentioned here who is not one of the daughters that is living with him, so she would definitely have a husband. She's not living in the house, so we're up to six now, right? And his two daughters who have their two fiancés, and then there's Lot and his wife, right? So we know of at least 12 people. No wonder Abraham said, if there's 10 righteous people, spare the city. Lot's family covered the 10. And yet, when he goes to speak to his sons-in-law, they think it's a joke. He had so little credibility in their eyes as a spiritual leader that when he comes speaking of the things of God, they laugh at him. And, and there's this passage in 2 Peter that in light of this chapter just doesn't sit well with me. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7 Lot is described as a righteous man. That's New Testament. Looking back, knowing this, the Bible describes Lot, this scumbag, as a righteous man. How do you figure that? We talked about this last week. Remember, we said this about Abraham. The scripture says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. As, as Moses writes about righteousness here and what it is to be a righteous man, he's talking about being a believer. He's not talking about whether or not your, your life lines up. We know Abraham's life had all kinds of major mess ups in it, right? And now we see this in Lot, both of them described as righteous men. But righteousness, the point here, and this is Moses' big point throughout the Pentateuch, is that righteousness is not about earning God's favor through good behavior. It's about being granted God's grace by faith. So to be called a righteous man is simply to have them say, he was a believer. He believed in God, okay? Now, just leave a, leave a marker there in um, Genesis 19 and go to the back of your Bible to 2 Peter. And let's look at this real quick. Just go to the back of your Bible. If you get to Revelation, you went just a little too far. But go to 2 Peter chapter 2 and, and pick it up with me in verse 6. 2 Peter 2, 6. Speaking of God, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to the, of those um, who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous lots, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. This is fascinating. How do you as a believer get to the place where Lot was? He lived among godless people 
And day by day, little by little, moment by moment, his righteous soul was tormented. This is temptation and spiritual attack because of the people with whom he wove his life together. The people that he wove his life together with actually drug him down little by little by little. Now, before we go back to Genesis, just open your Bible, the book of Psalms, right? In the middle, just open your Bible, the middle, you'll find Psalms. Go to Psalm chapter one, because it tells us about how this works. Psalm chapter one, first three verses. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. This is the opposite of Lot. It says, you're going to be blessed if you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. You don't listen to what wicked people say and live out what they suggest. You don't let the culture overwhelm you, but you shine as a light in the midst of the darkness. Blessed is that person. Blessed is the person who doesn't stand in the path of sinners. I like it. It goes walk, stand, sit. You don't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, that's standing around and talking with sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Where do we find Lot at the beginning of this chapter? chapter? Sitting in the seat of scoffers. This is what has happened in his life. He's gotten to this point. And, and you know, there's a verse that says, do not be deceived, uh, bad company corrupts good morals. So what does that mean? Does that mean we better lock up the doors of the church, keep, keep in here and make sure that we don't ever rub shoulders with people who don't know Jesus? No, it means when we do, we better be equipped to be light in darkness because light always overcomes darkness. So we need to be equipped to bring light into darkness. But if we're not, if we allow the darkness to envelop us, our light is going to get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until we don't even recognize ourselves anymore. Lot wasn't rubbing off on the people of Sodom. They were rubbing off on him. When I was uh, in my early 20s, young married, no kids, uh, I was in the car business. My, my family had always been in the car business. My dad owned dealerships and I grew up in that business. We had some used car lots at the time, and uh, I was uh, working, managing one of those places along with uh, two of my brothers and my dad, all working together. And it was a dream come true for me as a Christian um, to be not all of my family. In fact, I just had one brother at the time who was a Christian, and the rest were not walking with the Lord. And so this is going to be, you know, 12 hours a day with my dad and my brother, a chance to just be an influence, to be a light, to show them what it's like in the business world to walk with Jesus. I mean, I had been walking with Jesus since I was 14, and so I was excited to get a chance to just be with them consistently like that and do that. Well, I suppose most businesses are like this, but it was certainly true for me in the car business that when, you know, the customers are not around, the, the conversation is not exactly uplifting. 
and uh, lots of foul language, lots of dirty jokes, lots of disrespect toward women, all of that kind of stuff. Just sort of typical guy talk, locker room stuff. And um, over a couple of years, that just became common. Not just for them, but for me. And I will never forget a day in which I told an off-color joke or used some particularly foul language. And to be funny, my older brother looked at my dad and said, remember when Doug used to be a Christian? If you had punched me in the gut, it wouldn't have hurt more. And I wept on my drive home from work that night. Realized that God had given me this unbelievable gift of a chance to be an influence. And what I had instead done was shown them that Jesus doesn't really change your life in any practical way. It just means you have to go to church. It can happen. And you don't notice it while it's happening. One step at a time. One day at a time. Look at verse 15. Go back to Genesis 19. When morning dawned, now that the night is past, it's the sun is rising. When morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. Can you believe that? After all this, he, he, he doesn't want to leave. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. When they had brought them outside, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. Now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight and you have magnified your loving kindness which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains. For the disaster will overtake me and I will die. In other words, I, I'm a valley guy. I don't know how to live in the mountains. I, I'm not prepared for this. I need to stay in the valley. But they're going to wipe out the valley. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it's small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be saved? In other words, there's a little village over here. Could you just spare that village and I'll go there? It's just a little small village. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Now, they had to drag him out of there. Sodom had become part of him. He didn't want to leave. He couldn't imagine life outside of Sodom. God had a new start for him in the highlands, which, by the way, is the land that, that Abraham went to when they split up the land, right? Right? And he had a life for him there. But Lot still wasn't really interested in God's plan for his life. Lot was interested in Lot's plan for his life. So they told him that he could go to the little town of Zoar, but he needed to hurry, and they needed to make sure that they didn't even look back. Run for your life. Don't look back. Run toward God's plan for your new life. Don't even look back and long for the old days. Forget about all of that and go forward. But Lot wasn't listening to God. What an idiot. 
The guy is a moron. And <laughs> I'm glad there's so many idiots in the Bible. Because every time I see an idiot in the pages of Scripture, I remember that James says the Bible is a mirror. I see myself in Lot because my flesh still longs for the things of this world. And I still want to pursue my plan ahead of God's plan. And when I don't think God's plan makes sense, it is really tough to talk me into doing things God's way. I'm just like Lot, as I said. What an idiot. Is it just me or do some of you see the mirror too? And verse 23, the sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zoar. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground, everything wiped out. Verse 26, but his wife, Lot's wife, from behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. That's right. It says she became a pillar of salt. Is that literal? I don't know. I have no reason to think it's not. Somehow, some way, she died instantly and disintegrated. She rotted away. Her life had been there too. And by the way, the, the word that says she looked back, it doesn't mean looked, it means stared. She, she turned back and stopped going forward and watched. And you can understand that, can't you? Her children were there. <laughs> Probably grandchildren, her friends, her bridge club. Everybody. That meant anything to her. And now she's dead. So now Lot has lost his business. He's lost his position of authority. He's lost his friends. He's lost his kids and probably grandkids. And now he's lost his wife. How much can one person lose? All he had left was his two daughters who also had lost everything. I mean, this is a brutally sad story. Everybody is grieving. This is the worst day by far that any of them had ever experienced. All because of the slippery slope of compromise. Verse 27. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he saw and behold, the smoke of the land ascended like the smoke of a furnace. Thus it came about when God destroyed the cities of the valley that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot lived. Why did God spare Lot? Because he remembered Abraham. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Don't stop praying for your loved ones. He heard Abraham, he remembered Abraham, and he saved Lot. But still, what a tragedy. I mean, isn't that the saddest story you could ever imagine? 
Believe it or not, Lot is not finished sliding down the slippery slope. He has not yet hit rock bottom. It gets worse. Look at verse 30. Lot went up from Zoar and stayed in the mountains. Finally, finally, after all this, maybe I should pay attention to God. Goes up to the mountains, okay? And his two daughters with him, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. And he stayed in a cave, he and his two daughters. Then the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and let us lie with him, that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. On the following day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him that we may preserve our family through our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. As for the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the sons of Ammon to this day. This is unthinkable. His daughters thought this was a good idea. Where were they raised? Sodom? Do you see? This was not abnormal behavior to them. Perversion was the soup they had been soaking in their whole lives. Take matters into your own hands. Find a way. They're trying to preserve their legacy. They're afraid they're, they're not going to ever you know, make it to civilization again. Never meet husbands. We need to be pregnant. So let's sleep with our father. Just a quick word to those of us who might be thinking, you know what, my sin is my sin. It doesn't affect anybody else. Just shut up with that garbage. Quit telling yourself that. Not only does Lot's sin destroy his life and his family, it also destroys his legacy and his hope for the future of his people. By the end of the story, he has two grandchildren, Moab and Ben-Ami. Now, remember, Moses is writing this at the time that the children of Israel are going into the promised land, right? And who do they have to fight there? The Moabites and the Ammonites. Moses is trying to show them that there are long-term repercussions to the choices we make. Guys, remember this. Your life is like a link in a chain, and what happens in your life affects those who come after you. That's why it's such an awesome thing when I meet people who have come from a family line of just dysfunction and brokenness and abuse and all of that stuff, and they come to meet Jesus. That is a break in the chain. That is a new beginning. Our lives get to affect those who come after us. Don't tell yourself that it doesn't. It does. Your life's a link in a chain. The future is being influenced by the choices you are making right now. 
This is a horrible story. I'm so glad I'm done. I'm going to eat wings today, man. My, my team's going to win. If they don't, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm depressed. This is a horrible story. So I don't know what to do except leave you with the words of Joshua. Choose for yourselves today who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. One step at a time. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, thank you for not sparing us the horrible stories. Thank you for showing us that um, there are real consequences to sin, that wickedness is really wicked, that it's not okay to say uh, what's right for you is right for you and what's right for me is right for me. But God, that you're a loving and perfect and righteous and just God, and you have designed us to walk in success if we'll just trust you. Help us, God, to trust you. For Lord, just like Lot, we're influenced by the culture in which we live. Just like Lot, we're being attacked by an enemy who is smart and cunning and deceptive and powerful. And just like Lot, we need you to intervene for us. And there's a whole community out there that needs you to intervene for us so that we might be light in the darkness. Father, Lot's life is a cautionary tale. Help us to learn from it and to actually walk away from those things that are the beginning of our slippery slopes. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>